welcome to Safe Inside, brought to you by Theratribe. I'm Jeremy Loomis, and these are my conversations with Sandra Fields, an LPC and certified clinical trauma treatment provider with over 35 years experience helping people who have been through trauma. Welcome back to Safe Inside. I'm Jeremy. I'm Sandy. We started last time our discussion about trauma and the borderline diagnosis. We're continuing that this time with BPD and childhood trauma. Yeah, so we're going to kind of pick right up, I think, at this point. We talked last time about the symptoms of, of borderline personality disorder and sort of I got a little passionate about why I believe it should be a trauma disorder and not a personality disorder. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what we're finding through science and not just through my passion and my belief, which, you know, my passion and belief do count, but most scientists oh, sure. and people, yeah, but most scientists and people want to know the actual data. So those we're going to. Those yeah. are good balancing factors. I think, I, think so. I think without the passion, the facts don't tend to stick. Oh, True. without the, True. without the facts, the passion can be, uh, uh, not taking it so seriously. True, true, that's true. So with lots of passion, here's what we know scientifically. We know that people who suffer from borderline personality disorder are 13 times more likely to report childhood trauma than people without any mental health problems. And that was actually a study done by the University of Manchester. Um, the analysis of the data that they looked at from 42 international studies. And I wanna say that because this is not just um, a United States issue, it's a global issue. There was an analysis done of data from 42 international studies that showed in those studies, at least 71% of the people who were diagnosed with borderline personality disorder had experienced at least one traumatic childhood experience. The study was carried out, there, this study that I'm talking about was carried about out by the people at uh, University of Manchester. And they, they did this through the National Health System or Service, National Health Service. It's in Great Britain. And I don't know if it's a similar service. I think it's service. But those of you from Great Britain can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and this was, was published not too long ago. Uh, so they, they were showing that in that study of all of those other studies. So that's what a meta-analysis is, is where they study all the other studies. That they found that it is much more likely to be associated with borderline personality disorder. So childhood trauma is much more likely to be associated with borderline personality disorder than childhood trauma is associated with mood disorders, or that's childhood abuse is, is uh, correlated with psychoses or other personality disorders. By far, borderline personality disorder was the largest association to any of those issues throughout anything with people who've experienced childhood trauma. The most common form of adverse experience or traumatic events or adverse childhood experiences we've talked about by people who have suffered or have a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder was physical neglect. And almost 50% of the people who experience uh, symptoms of borderline personality disorder report physical abuse as a child. 42.5% 
reported emotional abuse. Um, sexual abuse was at 32.1% and emotional neglect is at least a quarter of them reported it. Now I'm saying that I know that that equals way more than 100% because people can have several different types of abuse that happens in their lives. We talked about in a, in a couple of our past episodes, we talked about um, adverse childhood experiences and the link on our physical health. And we also talked about the vagus nerve. And I'm gonna lean into those a little heavily today as we talk about the link between childhood traumatic events and borderline personality disorder. Um, we know that our neurobiology develops as children. So as we grow and learn in the world, we, our bodies themselves grow and learn as well. Um, we, one big way that most people have heard about, if you have a, an infant and you feed that infant and you care for that infant physically, but you don't love that infant, they can develop a, sim a symptom or a disorder called failure to thrive. And babies can be stunted in their growth. They can become developmentally de delayed. They can even die from this. Again, all of their physical needs are met. But if their emotional needs are not met, they can develop this failure to thrive. So we know that there is a direct correlation between our emotional world and experiences and our physical development. So if you live in a household where um, you are experiencing as a child, chronic overwhelming stress, it is likely that our responses such as our physical responses, our emotional responses and all of that do not develop in a way that's healthy and good. That seems logical to me, right? If you grow up in a household that is more chaotic, more stressful, more abusive, you can become more sensitive to normal stress. I tell my clients that we all have a certain level of capacity for stress, and theirs is already full from what they experience as children, right? So as, as children grow up in a, like a typical healthy household, when they start feeling these intense feelings and they have what we call big feelings. Oh my gosh, you've got this big feeling. We label it for them. It's like, oh, you must be feeling really angry. Or I wonder if you're feeling really sad or what is this big feeling that you're feeling? And we help them identify it. We help them manage it. We help them work with it. That's what parents and, and people in the lives of children do. But in homes where that doesn't happen, and these intense feelings come up, they have no way of knowing how to deal with it. When we compound that with the intense feelings that each of us might very well feel if we are being physically or sexually abused or emotionally abused, I'd say our intense feelings would become extremely negative. And we would have a really hard time dealing with those negative thoughts and feelings that are very large and very intense. So we might then resort to dangerous or unhelpful measures to feel better, such as 
taking drugs or cutting, right? And so all of this can lead to a lot of different mental health issues, difficulties, struggles, including what we normally see in people who receive a diagnosis of BPD. Um, borderline is the very misleading term. It implies that this condition only has a mild impact. However, borderline does not mean that because it is, can be very distressing and it can be challenging to treat because of the symptoms that, they, that these people are presenting with. Um, so when we're thinking about it, we're thinking about the, the development of children. If we're thinking about how children develop, we think about how they learn to deal with life, we think about how they learn to deal with their own feelings, it starts to become a little apparent as to why um, it, it's come out of being dealing with childhood trauma, right? So if you are sexually abused, and this happens quite a while, over our average period is four years, right? We, we learned that in one of our episodes. If you're being abused sexually over four years as a small child, say you're four years old, and that is not unlikely, according to our statistics, I wonder what this teaches you about yourself. I wonder what it teaches you about your impact on the world. I wonder what it teaches you about how you can effectively show agency or autonomy in this world. And then I also wonder what it teaches you about relationships. If your abuser is a close, one of your parents actually, doesn't have to be a sexual abuser, though parents do, as we talked about, parents do sexually abuse. But if you have a caregiver, for instance, who feels very chaotic, who sometimes meets your needs and sometimes doesn't meet your need, um, you can cry for a bottle. Maybe you'll get fed. Maybe you won't. You don't really know. It's back and forth. Sometimes mom, for instance, is very, very calm and loving. And sometimes mom is very distant or mom or worse or I don't know about worse, but feels worse. Mom is loud and tells me to shut up, right? Say all that goes on. We come up with an attachment disorder called disorganized attachment. This is sometimes known as fearful avoidant. It's like, I want to be your friend, but I'm going to avoid being your friend, but I'm going to be your friend, but I'm going to do things and make you go away. But if you go away, I'm going to get really mad because I'm really afraid that you're going to leave me. This describes symptoms of borderline personality disorder. We all, being mental health issues, or mental health issues, I'm not a mental health issue, We're mental health professionals, we recognize the development of that disorganized or fearful avoidant attachment in children. We recognize it with this pattern. But we don't often put that with the same very similar symptoms to borderline personality disorder. But it is all around that attachment. I'm afraid that you're going to leave me, so I'm going to push you away. But while I'm pushing you away, I'm also pulling you in, and I'm going to be feeling very intense about the whole thing the entire time. And I'm, I'm still kind of bum-fuzzled, which is a great word, bum-fuzzled as to why 
we still persist in saying that this is a personality disorder. Mm, yeah, hence the uh, I hate you, don't leave me. Yes, which is the name of a very famous book by Marsha Linehan, um, who recently, by the way, for many years, she said she did not have um, borderline personality disorder. She's you know, has now disclosed that she does have borderline personality disorder. She had said for a long time she had not been abused when she was younger, but she did not remember her whole childhood. Now she's saying that she does remember. And she developed DBT um, while she was in a year-long inpatient psychiatric facility in her early 20s. Cool. So it, it's uh, a very good book, by the way, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me, but it's a great title because it really does sum up the whole kind of underlying sort of conflict with people who struggle from with personality disorder right mm. yeah so. it's, isn't it funny how uh what's the what's the expression that uh people say oh well you're one of the dog or something like that you know it's interesting that people would interpret uh, it as a reason to discredit someone if they mm -hmm. struggle with the same thing that they are talking about Yes. Think yes. about that logically. You can be an authority on something because of an intimate knowledge from the inside of having to deal with it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's funny because the, there is one community that that's not actually necessarily true, and that's the recovery community. You almost oh. have to have that I'm in recovery and I'm sober to be taken seriously in that particular community. Oh. But people that have suffered from borderline personality disorder, you know, it's okay that you have, and you like Marsha Linehan, and now that you're feeling way better, yeah, share with us what you did. Yeah. What worked? What worked for you? How much better does it work for you? Why can't we be a little bit more like that recovery committee, uh, com community, right? Yeah. Right. You know yeah. what else this reminds me of? You remember What Dreams May Come, that Robin Williams movie? Mm -hmm. This, mm -hmm. this, this, because of maybe because of the stigma, but at least because of the intensity um, and, and relating it to childhood trauma and attachment, it makes me think of being on a mission to try to snatch somebody out of hell. It yeah. sounds like it's got to feel that hopeless. Yes, yes. When I used to lead uh, groups for teenagers, I actually showed that movie to the kids. Oh, did you? That was part of the regular ongoing rotation that I had. Yeah, because it was so powerful. And another, by the way, while we're talking about movies, side note, another really good movie, but it's specifically around borderline personality disorder is Girl Interrupted. Uh, such a powerful movie and so good and very well, well done. Uh, that's a side note, but very good. Very good with Ashley Judd and Angelina Jolie. Love that movie too. Uh, so, there is a strong link. The, the, the data is showing that there's a strong link. We know that many of the things that um, people who experience borderline personality disorder, the things that they experience are actually trauma responses, an inability to, to deal with your emotions, right? For some people who've experienced trauma, they have that shortened range of emotions. People with borderline personality disorder do too, even though they have extremes. They have a shortened range on one end of the spectrum and a shortened range on the other end of the spectrum. And in between, they feel empty. So their spectrum, their shortened range of emotions, it is shortened. It's just divided in half and put at the end of the continuum. They still have a shortened range of emotion. 
they have a lot of anxiety. The basis of borderline personality disorder is this fear of abandonment, this fear of being left alone. And if they are left alone, they're just going to die. Now, they don't say it directly like that, but it feels that way. It's a matter of survival, right? Um, they tend to be extreme in a lot of things, but again, it's, it's a trauma response. They haven't actually learned how to manage in that mid-range kind of healthy place, right? And then again- it raises some questions about all the things many of us take for granted because we've perhaps never imagined lacking in certain areas. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you don't have a capacity to regulate your own affect, to, to kind of have some sort of emotional regulation, then I mean, then it'll be hard to imagine not. Absolutely, absolutely. And when we add in the self-destructive behaviors, things like the substance abuse or the, and or the binge eating and or unsafe with multiple sex with multiple partners, risky driving, reckless spending, when we add that, those destructive ways of trying to increase your dopamine and increase your feelings of value, all of that, and also at the same time numbing these extreme feelings, right? We add those in because these are ways that They've been able to at least cope so far. Good job surviving. Is this is you? Good job surviving so far, right? I trust that's not a sarcastic statement. No. Seriously, you have that to survive. A, you have to survive, and so this is some ways that they've learned that they can survive, right? So they they have these these things, and they have that extreme anger and problems controlling it. But my gosh, the very core of them has been violated over and over again. I'd be angry. That's that part of them that is going, okay, somebody's got to love me because this sucks, right? You know, and that, that, that actually, I think we're getting close to the core of at least having a frame of reference for understanding this or, or for yeah. having a bit of empathy uh, or at least sympathy for it. I think what we're talking about is an exposed core. Yes. Because, because how much, how much do we learn to develop a lot of padding mm -hmm. uh, to the point where we can afford to live a lot of our life on a superficial level with people? If you have the, the ego strength that, that you're not living in constant doubt, that you're not living uh, under a, a constant th threat level that's just you know, if you're not just looking through your eyes at a red screen all the time, like, mm -hmm. like that means you have a lot of stability that, that is so standard in your life, you don't even have to think about it. Um, Imagine being so raw that the core of you is accessible readily. Yes. yes. You're, you're, a, you're an exposed nerve. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that exposed nerve is a good picture Typically, what I tell my clients that are presenting with these symptoms is that they are raw. I use that word. And when I tell them, it's like, like, you know, I could blow on my arm right now because I'm healthy. Nothing would happen. But if I had been severely burned and I was in a burn unit and some air came by, it would really hurt because it's so raw and burned, right? And, it's, it's, and then I would react a lot bigger than I would react right now, right? Because the reaction seems to be 
appropriate for what's actually happening if we knew what was happening under the surface, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a really, that's a really powerful example. Yeah, yeah. So I do want to say, how do we treat borderline personality disorder? Yeah, well, we treat it a lot like we treat trauma, right? We do a lot of dialectical behavior therapy, which is coping skills. So helping someone understand how to deal with those extreme emotions, how to see cause and effect in their own behaviors. You know, we, we do things like behavior chains and things like that, hold people accountable. Um, we do EMDR, we do cognitive behavioral therapy. We might do some what's called schema-focused therapy. This is that's kind of changing the view of how you see yourself and yourself in the world and, and all of that, but we use that with trauma as well. Um, so we, we use all of those things. So if you think that um, you have borderline personality disorder, at least presenting with the traits, okay? Remember that it's a mental health problem. It can cause you to be impulsive or reckless, moody, emotionally unstable, like most mental health problems, right? It can be caused by living in a disruptive environment with unstable family support. So you probably don't have good family support, a good support network. So it would be important for you to think about developing a good one as you learn your skills. Um, so what do you do? See a therapist. Don't skip your appointments. Hang in there with your therapist. There are gonna be times that you're gonna hate your therapist because that's how the extreme goes back and forth. Hang in there anyway. Stay attached to your therapist till you get through that trauma treatment. Make sure you get enough sleep. Be sure to tell your therapist if you're not sleeping a lot. Eat healthy diet. If you've got all this rawness going on, how much more important it is to maintain that physical health. So eat a healthy diet. Try to watch the substance abuse, including cigarette smoking, by the way. Uh, exercise can calm that vagal nerve down like we talked about before. Keep track of people, places, situations that trigger your symptoms. Keep track of that. Then talk with your therapist about those particular things that trigger your symptoms. Little Make side sure. note, your, your therapist is not the person you need to impress. No, no, you do not need to impress your therapist. This is where it needs a lot of raw honesty, right? Um, and if you feel suicidal or you're hurting yourself, please tell your therapist. And yes, we do understand the difference between self-harm and suicidality. But if you feel either one, tell your therapist, okay? So make sure that, that you're taking good care of yourself. This can be helped, it can be treated. But find someone who's going to treat it like a trauma symptom and not someone who's going to treat you like you have a character defect. Because that's not what's wrong with you. It is what happened to you that has caused these symptoms. So, so Sandy, a moment ago, you mentioned several things. One of them was uh, bringing accountability. And what, um, what's the, to ask what feels like a very uh, obvious question, I'm still going to ask, what's the utility of that? Well, because it helps you stay more accountable and do what you need to do. So it, it's a way of having someone kind of question you sometimes. In serious DBT training, like or when you're doing just DBT, you'll do it in a group of other people with uh, issues as well. And they will call you out 
and going, hey, is, was that warranted? Hey, was that extreme level of anger appropriate? How can you moderate yourself a bit more? Are you sure that that was just their fault or did you cause this some way? When I talked about behavior change, it's a way of figuring out what my behavior, the consequences of my behavior can be. Um, and so it literally is having someone say to you, let's step this back and make sure that this wasn't some of your behavior that caused this person to step away from you, for instance. You know, if, if it's, I hate you, don't leave me. And so I say, I hate you enough and someone starts leaving me. And then I get upset because they're leaving me. How dare they leave me? I can't believe they're abandoning me. You know, did I actually cause that through my own behavior? And learning how to, to see that and moderate that as well. So there's, there is some of that element that is necessary, actually, in all treatment. Um, you know, we, 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 we're not like telling our clients you're going to get in trouble or these are your lists of rules that you have to follow. But it's more around going, okay, was that a healthy behavior? What caused this for you? Why do you think that you attempted it this way? What might have been a better way of behaving? Were you truly not at fault at all? Or maybe did you contribute to this, right? There's a cute TikTok going around with all of us therapists absolutely love. And it's like, I just left my therapy session, found out that I'm the problem. I thought everybody else was the problem, but I am the problem. I don't know if you all have seen that, but it's, it's a cute little TikTok, but so true so many times. Saying that we are not victim blaming. We do not think that your symptoms came about because of your fault. We are saying that sometimes our symptoms do it in a way that we could actually take control of and not do something that's unhealthy or unwise. So, And the, and the odd thing about that is that that can actually be empowering. Very empowering, actually, because you become in control of your own life. And these, this you can do on. something different next time. Yeah. And then your consequences can actually be different next time, right? <laughs> to, to imagine you can actually begin to choose your consequences. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that's what those behavior chains teach um, as well. So, so and I do want to, I do want to tie this back before we wrap this one up. You know, what we were just talking about. Um, I, kind of having that accountability in a social context to me that's that's so parallel to what was missing for so many of these people um you know not having a caregiver help them learn to regulate their affect there's yes. something there that um you can't grow anything where there are no roots right exactly exactly and that's that's but there's a way that we have to do it in adulthood or adolescent to adulthood that is a little bit different than, different than what we would do with children because these are adults with autonomy. So that holding accountable, accountable looks a little bit different than it would when you're holding a two-year-old accountable. But there's still a need for that, like you said, because that is part of what they're learning is what they were unable to learn because they lived in an unstable, chaotic home. Um, so it's important for us to, to acknowledge that. I've worked with people who have, have presented with those symptoms a lot over the years. Um, a lot of ther therapists don't like to work with them again because they, they have this reputation of being difficult. Frankly, I haven't ever found people who suffer from these symptoms any more difficult than anyone else. Oh. Um, honestly, 
and and they're most people are open to honest feedback as long as they know the intention behind it. You know, I, I'm trying to think of a time when I've ever had a client get upset when I gave some honest feedback or suggested maybe they, what they did wasn't quite healthy or I've never had one get angry with me or upset because I think they understand that it comes from a place of working towards health, you know, um, and they have autonomy in all of our sessions. I'm, so I do think that there's some relearning or not relearning, but learning of things that they should have learned by their families when they're two, three, four, five, that we have to do, but we have to do in a way that still honors the dignity and respect of each and every person that comes before us, you know. It's a lot to, it's a lot. It's a big ask to try to it integrate is, those things later, later on. It really is a huge ask. And it's unfair that they have to do it because it's not their fault that this happened, but it is what it is. And part of what we learn is to practice that radical acceptance, um, you know, around it is what it is. I know that's not a favorite phrase for most, but, but this is not to be a a thought stopper phrase that literally is just accepting that this childhood stuff happened. I didn't learn what I needed. Now I have to learn what I need. And, and it's that radical, that Zen kind of concept of radical acceptance. Um, that, that's one. the actual term. I was going to say that's the actual term. So you could Google radical acceptance from DP, DBT and it'll come up for you. So go ahead, Jeremy. I'm sorry. No, no worries. Yeah. So if you're hearing this and maybe you've been given a borderline personality disorder diagnosis, or maybe you've wondered if that is an appropriate diagnosis. I, I hope you'd carry away from this podcast one thing, and that is you're not, you're not a machine that's broken. You're a human that has needs. Yes. And yes. maybe a human that has lived with unmet needs. You are as worthwhile as any of us. And uh, as hard as it's been to hold hope, there may still be a reason to. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that wraps up today. If you need some help finding a therapist, we'll be glad to do that for you or help you refer, or you're welcome to come to Theratribe as well. Yes, um, for sure. So, Theratribe.com. Yes. Check us out. 30-minute free consultation call so that you can see if it's a fit for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think next time, Jeremy, we're going to talk about some indigenous ways of dealing with trauma. See you then.